and welcome back into another fantastic episode of the Broadway Bulletin. We are so excited to have you back for a very fun and exciting new episode. So without further ado, let us dive in. So this week on Broadway, Camelot announces an early closing date of July 23rd. Yes, we'll be bidding farewell to the Fair Kingdom up at Lincoln Center, sadly a little sooner than expected. But congratulations to everyone involved on a great run. This week in Broadway history, we celebrated the birthday of six-time Tony Award winner and incredible human being, Audra McDonald, on July 3rd. Tony Award winner Alan Arkin passed away at the age of 89 on June 30th. On June 26th, we lost actor John Dial, who passed away at age 68. Switching over to some theater community news, the ASCAP Foundation announced that it would launch its first musical theater fest with Stephen Schwartz, Paskick and Paul, and more. The two-week event will offer emerging musical theater composers an opportunity to learn from industry leaders. It's a fantastic opportunity for our future musical creators. So that's fabulous. The West End revival of Crazy For You, starring Charlie Stemp, has opened on July 3rd, and this production is directed by Susan Stroman, so perhaps we'll be seeing a revival of Crazy For You on Broadway soon. Tony winner Lena Hall is starring in the Broadway-aimed In Dreams, which which began July 3rd in the UK. The new jukebox musical from and Juliet writer David West features songs of rock and roll singer-songwriter Roy Orbison. Gavin Creel will preview his new musical, Walk On Through, in a Kennedy Center concert. The new work is set to make its world premiere off-Broadway in November at MCC. The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, the musical, ended its limited London run on July 1st. The date has been announced for the 2024 Olivier Awards. The ceremony has been set for April 24th, 2024 at the Royal Albert Hall. The Motive and the Cue about Richard Burton Hammond will transfer to London's West End. It is currently playing at the National and is being directed by Sam Mendes. Now switching gears to some off-Broadway chatter... The Gospel According to Heather will release an off-Broadway cast recording, which is really exciting because it's got some really good bops in there, so I'm excited for that. Also, The Savior begins its stage premiere at Irish Repertory Theater on July 1st, starring Tony winner Marie Mullen and Jamie O'Neill. We love Marie Mullen. I can't wait to see her in this show. There's, she She's do one of my like favorite humans I've ever ever had the pleasure to interact with. And we've never seen her in anything bad. That's what I love. Bryce Pinkman will return to Little Shop of Horrors at the West Side Theater, and he'll be reprising his role with the production. He's playing the dentist. I can't think of the dentist's name right now, but as well as like the side characters, the the man with many hats, essentially. But that's that's a fun role. Bryce Pinkman is a great character actor, so I think that'll be great. So I guess now we should talk about some of the shows we saw. Yes, I have only seen tech rehearsal. And But that's been fun. Now oh. that Back to the Future is open for previews and you guys have welcomed an audience and it seems like everything is going great. Audiences seem to love your show. There's a car in there. Let's just say there's some razzle-dazzle and added features that weren't in the London production or yes. aren't in the London I've production. started seeing some great discussions about it so I'm highly highly anticipating my visit to the Winter Garden but for me this week uh, there's two shows I want to touch on first we had on our show we had Jenna Cormie from the show Singfeld which I got to see on Wednesday Singfeld a parody musical about nothing and it was it was it was a parody musical about nothing I mean it was just fun if you are a Seinfeld fan this is a great show for you. This the, There's not much to this show. I mean, it's not high art. It's, you know, if you're going for a great theater experience, like a true artistic theater experience, there isn't much there. But if you're a Seinfeld fan, they have put everything in there. The jokes are smart. The references are all there. And the character depictions are incredible. Our friend, Jenna Cormie, who came on the show, oh my gosh, 
like spitting image of of Julia Lewis Dreyfus. She had the mannerisms, the facial expressions, the voice, just everything. It was Julia Lewis Dreyfus in the '90s on Seinfeld to a T. And then there's some great references towards the end. They just all your favorite Seinfeld characters come back and make an appearance. It's a lot of fun. The cast is really great. There are some really cool songs in there. Um, but yeah, it's a show about nothing. So don't go in expecting like a really moving, moving story or anything like that. You're going to see your fit. You know, you're going with those those guys that could quote everything from Seinfeld. That's what you're going for. And then the other show that I saw, and I really loved this show. It's playing at New York City Center. And it, actually, it's going to be closing. We're releasing this on Wednesday the 5th, so it closes tomorrow, Thursday, July 6th. It's called Love and Science. <clears throat> and it's about two young med students after their white coat ceremony. So, you know, kind of like in their residency, I guess. I don't think that's right. No, it's not during the residency. It's during when they're studying. They're in med school. But they're, they're two young med students. They're both gay. And it's at the start of the AIDS epidemic. And they're both also involved in a lab that studies retroviruses. Hmm. Right. So they're kind of on the forefront of it. And they're here in New York. And it addresses, you know, they both have different attitudes and ideas towards it. One, knowing what he knows about retroviruses, decides the best option is, you know, one extreme on one end about no physical whatever because we don't know how it's transferred. And the other one is like a little bit more lax about, well, if it was transferred through kissing or something like this, wouldn't there be more people? You know, it puts to question true science, if you will, which we've all, we all had to deal with when we were going through the COVID-19 pandemic. So, but what I really appreciated about the show was not only was it following what was happening with this pandemic, but for me, it was one of the first shows, like modern shows and looking back at how much wrong was done in addressing that pandemic. You know, the lack of funding, the lack of knowledge and all the way that it was handled. The idea that, that AIDS patients, when the when AIDS was first discovered, okay, it was seen as a form of pneumonia with a fungal infection. And they listed it as gay something, da, 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 da. Basically, it was a gay disease. Medical professionals were basically saying this was just a gay disease, and you could see just how, I don't even know what the word is, just how awful how and stigmatized. Yeah, that that medical professionals were with with the way that this, this virus is being handled. And I like that the play kind of put that in the forefront of being like, it, it's one thing to talk about how destructive this virus was. It's a whole other thing to mention the response of that. Virus, Because then in the end, it does flash forward to the COVID-19 pandemic. And it shows, here's what I love. Because, you know, there was a lot of skepticism about the, how fast the vaccine rolled out. But really, the reason why is because of all the research and development because of AIDS treatment and whatnot, right? Mm -hmm. They reference about how much money and how quickly was thrown into COVID-19 response. But only... Four million people worldwide at the at this point in the show, which I think was in 2021, had died from COVID worldwide. 54 million people had died from AIDS. And it's like, we haven't... It's almost like we've only come so far. And then we were like, oh, well, this is good enough. And we stopped. But it's still prevalent and it still exists. AIDS does not have a cure it kind of has a... Treatment? A, yeah, something that prolongs your life, but not cures it. And so I really appreciated the fact that the playwright and the performers and everyone was not presenting the same story of the AIDS epidemic and was also not sugarcoating it. They were definitely putting a slant on it. That sh I mean, I was sitting there and I was like, yes, all of this. Everyone, and I love that the crowd was so young. Because I think that is something that is forgotten. And I mean, maybe I'm putting my age on it, but this wasn't that long ago. And now that we have great 
tools like prep and that, I worry that that whole thing has kind of be you know being put in the back of well, the it's mind. Being forgotten. Yeah, and it's like I remember that 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 all was happening. So that was a really brilliant play for me, and of course the performers were great. Everything was wonderful. It was awesome. So let us move on to our last couple things real fast. We do have an upcoming night at the theater this week. Thursday, July 6th, a stage whisper night at the theater. Come on out. Come join us. We will be at the Players Theater down in the village off of McDougal Street. We'll be attending Friends of the Show production of The Trouble with Dead Boyfriends. Please go to this show because I don't get to and I really want to. This is actually a really good show. Uh, I was getting a list of shows together, Finishing Planet or Summer Out, and I get some of our shows from ShowScore, and it's got a great score on ShowScore. Audiences are loving it. So I'm so happy for our friends who we had on the show to talk about this. I loved listening to your interview with them. It sounds like something that is exactly up my alley, and I'm very disappointed I don't get to go yeah so thursday the 6th of july make sure you join us at the players theater for the trouble of dead boyfriends come say hi and we'll go and get coffee or drinks after we'll talk we'll catch up we'll you know yes we'll let's, an evening. Let's, let's let's work on our community let's yeah it's somewhere get in the city <laughs> outside of that we've got two really big announcements to share with you today the first one is we have a website everybody now, we don't have the address to share with you yet. That's going to be announced later this week, but we do have a website. It is built. They're putting the final touches on it. I'm so excited about this. On this website, you will be able to go. You'll be able to check out pictures from our previous shows we've been to. You'll be able to see a complete listing of shows playing primarily here in New York in the Manhattan area. Basically, that's our big board. That's the shows that we look at. And you can click on those shows and it'll take you directly to buying the tickets. You'll be able to click on a link to listen to our show. You can find the links. You can click on links to purchase tours, book tours with us. Reach out to us. All that stuff. You can also donate to us on this page. I mean, everything and anything you could want with Stage Whisper all in one place. I'm so excited about it. And there's one big thing I've left out because I want you to talk about it. I'm so excited about this. The other big announcement is... We finally have merch. We have merch! So right now you can purchase your merch by going to our link tree. And it'll lead you directly to our... we've Our store is through Bonfire. So go on there. There is our traditional logo as well as some new things that I don't think anyone has seen yet. But also just kind of stand by. We're going to add merch to it randomly. Yeah, and if you've got ideas for merch or fan art or whatever. Or things you'd like to see us make merch of. Yeah, send us an email. Send it in. We'd love to help, you know, get it out there. Poster art from past shows you've had on our show. That'd be great, you know. But... Yeah, pick up a shirt. Pick up a new Stage Whisper shirt today. Wear it, sport it, help support us. Help support you, like sponsor that you're a fan of Stage Whisper and a theater lover. Let's really, where's our theater fans out there, right? But this is so exciting. I mean, I can't believe we have merch. Wow. Yeah, I am really a big fan of the Spotlight logo I made. Yeah. So go check that one out. There's a couple of different colors you can get different types of t-shirts i personally am going to be getting the tank the the tank top t-shirt so coming up on our anniversary now we have a website and we have merchandise what do you know about that (laughs) and speaking of anniversary wrapping this up if you have not become a patron yet i i mean come on down head on down what you waiting for yeah patreon.com slash stage whisper pod head on over select a backstage pass or just leave some money in our tip jar Every dollar you give goes right back to supporting artists. It's a great way to give and to support. Also helps us out. We are in desperate need of hiring some more staff. There's so much going on. There's so much growth happening, and it's all because of all of you. So thank you all so much for listening, tuning in, and being fans of the show. We could really use your support now that we're growing bigger and We really can't do this without you, our community. Absolutely. You can also go to Venmo and give that way at Stage Whisper Pod there. So we would greatly appreciate any and all people who are able to give, whatever you can give, $1, $5, $10,000, anybody out there with more, 
I'm here, I'm happy. But to all of our current patrons and producers, thank you so much for helping to sustain us. You are incredible. Thank you very much. So I guess that's it for the Broadway Bulletin, and we should move on to the second part, which I am so excited about. This So for our second part, we bring you a, a whisper in the wings, and I am so excited about this guest because I adore this guest. I love her. We had her on previously earlier in the year as one of the guests for our coverage of The Frigid Fringe. Her show was a huge hit at the Frigid Fringe Festival. So much so that they actually invited her to perform the show at the Astrogenius Festival. Festival. But even more than that, now she has a residency at the Crane Theater with the show. It's been selling out. She took it up to Connecticut as a show and fundraiser. I mean, she's tearing it up. And she doesn't just have the show. She has a lot of other projects. And she's just a great human all around. Uh, this is one of those people on my list of people I would pay to work for. So we have the playwright, director, and performer, Claire Ayub, joining us to talk to her about her amazing show, The Gyno Kid. So please enjoy this whisper in the wings with our friend, Claire Ayub. everyone to a very fun-filled episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We have a very special guest joining us today, and I should say returning to join us today, we have the playwright, director, and performer Claire Ayub of The Gyno Kid, which is now going to be playing July 14th, August 11th, September 8th, October 13th, November 10th, and December 8th at 7 p.m. at the Crane Theater. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting frigid.nyc. Now, you might remember this name or the show's name from one of our previous episodes of Whisper in the Wings when we had our lovely panel from the Frigid Fringe Festival. Claire went on to win several awards at that festival and now is having an extended stay with Frigid NYC with this show. So we are so honored and excited to welcome Claire back. Claire, welcome back to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. My face hurts from smiling. It is so good to be back. It's so good to see you. And like we were talking about before, your our panel interview we did back in, I think, January, maybe early February. It brought so many of us together who were members of the Frigid Fringe and that, you know, we had gotten to know each other a little bit over email and on Facebook, but it really got us so excited about each other's shows. And then we all were there at each other's shows. And then I got to see you in person and it felt like seeing a celebrity and a friend and it was, you know, celebrity friend and it was just joyful. So thank you for having me to talk about the Gyno Kid. It's so good to be here. It, I've, like I said, I was so excited when I got the email about your extended run. You've been doing so much with the show. The show, like, it was an instant success at Fridge and Fringe. I got to see the first show. Your parents were in the audience. I, <laughs> that was, was so fun. Which killed me because you... You were doing your show, and then there was this guy that like did a callback, and I was like, "Whoa, now, man! Like, this is not that kind of show." And then at the end, he goes up on stage. I was like, "That was my father." Kind of show, you know, (laughs) Andrew. I had to. No one knew they were there because I was so nervous. I was so nervous. And my dad, they were coming into the city. They were driving in from Connecticut, and they called me on the road. And I go, "Dad, I, I, you cannot heckle." I was like, you cannot heckle. And he's like, but it's a comedy show. I want to call, I want to heckle. And I was like, dad, I just memorized my lines. I'm going to forget everything. I'm just asking you, please do not heckle. So he was so quiet because he loves shouting stuff out at all my readings because he gets so excited. We both have ADHD. It's the best. And so, you know, he just loves it. And so he didn't heckle. And the best part was only people who knew they were there were like my friends that saw them and recognized them or my family members. And so at the end, my producer, Jack Hobbs, told me that he heard someone say, when I brought them up to take a bow, I was like, welcome my parents. He heard someone say, oh my God, it's like seeing celebrities. (laughs) And they're my parents, you know, a 40 year 
plus career as gynecologist and nurse midwife taking a bow off Broadway at the Crane Theater. I mean, it's it's something I will never forget. So the fact that you were there for opening night, which was just a joy. It was oh, so fun. it was amazing. And then it just it it had caught fire. It was huge. And then, like I said, from there, you just it's been going and going. You've been doing so much good with it. And now you're coming back to the crane. You've got these this great run happening, and who knows what from where. But this is this is an amazing show, and I'm so glad that there have been these performances added because it was it was such a hard ticket to get during the fridge. Oh my god, thank you. That was very humbling. It uh, you know when you're writing something because I'm I've been in in the film world for you know the last nine years. The this performance you know, that I did at the at Bridget Festival is my first time back on stage doing a solo show in nine years. I hadn't been doing that, and it was it was so funny. I used to love. I came up through. UCB comedy scene and I did you know I was on stage all the time and was working out characters and I was directing and, and all that kind of stuff and then I switched into video I switched into just writing scripts and I, I got used to being behind the camera and I wanted to do something that really scared me and I love talking about my parents this is basically the show that you know, the show I started working on when I was like, I guess, 10 when I realized what they did. But, you know, it, it's one of those things that I knew I wanted to tell a story about my parents. I just did my first movie, Empire Waste, which is all about body image. It's the movie I wish I had as a kid. And I lived at home with my parents while I was making it. I lived with them for three years uh, before and during the pandemic. And, you know, they were just my rock and seeing them uh, living with them, seeing the impact they've had on their patients, seeing that, you know, talking about their work at night while I was talking about my work, you know, it just really, for me, I was like, I want to tell a story about them. So I actually wrote a TV pilot called Open Wide. And it's about growing up as the child of gynecologists. And it's basically about the true story of how my mom took over our middle school health program when my brother and sister were there, which was, you know, totally fun and normal for them. And not mortifying at all to be taught puberty while you're going through puberty in front of your classmates who are going through puberty. And so I wrote this TV show and, and TV, you never know if things are going to happen, if where things are going to go. And so when I saw Frigid Fringe opportunity to apply, I was like, what if I did this as a show? What if I did it as my story instead of the fictional version? What if I got to share these stories that have become family lore? Like basically when anyone comes over to our house, whenever we're at it, us talking about <laughs> just what's normal for us for dinner table conversation, which is disgusting by normal standards. We talk about bodies all the time because that's my parents saying like, how was your day at the office? And so it's just a space where we use comedy and just an openness to talk about medical issues, about health, and also just bringing that humor to it to make people feel less self-conscious. And so that's how I approach comedy. And so the fact that I got into the festival, that I was able to write this show and do, you know, perform this love letter for my parents with them in the room. And then all these people got to meet them when they weren't in the room. And then people got to get to know my hometown. And then I went back to my hometown and performed and did it as a fundraiser. And you know, got to like add in the really specific stuff about our town, like the street names and the old like diner and, and all these different things. It's just been a really beautiful love letter to my parents. And just, it almost feels like a little bit of a pilgrimage, like through of just really getting close to, to myself and why they really shaped me into who I am. And yeah, the coolest thing has also just been the response of people wanting to talk about health and wanting to talk about their bodies and being fired up at the end of the show because it's a comedy, but it's also, you know, talks about what well, my parents taught me about how knowledge is power and really encourages people to learn about their bodies. So that's why I'm so excited about the new run because it is just, we're adding on a Q&A after every show that has specific health topic that I bring up, you know, one or more experts in their field to talk about it and answer audience questions. And just being able to do that in a space where you've already been taught for an hour that there's nothing wrong with talking about health or your body, you know, it's really amazing to see people feel comfortable, like they're in a judgment-free environment when they talk about health, which is just my goal as a, as a creator and as my parents' kid. <laughs> yeah. And it's amazing that pe more people can have the opportunity to take this in. Yes. And why don't I start by asking, you know, can you tell us a little bit more about the specific, you know, the story itself of Gyno Kid as much as you can, you know? <laughs> 
Absolutely. So basically, The Gyno Kid is a one-hour solo comedy that is all about my experience growing up as the child of small-town gynecologists, specifically small-town gynecologist and nurse midwife. And so it is, you know, goes through the gamut of being a kid, being, you know, going through puberty, being a, an awkward teenager and then adult, and and dealing with the fact that your parents are physically and, and emotionally and, and figuratively up in everybody's business. Everybody knows who you are, all these different things. So really struggling with my own handling of the fact that my parents were reproductive health experts uh, and the fact that everyone in my town wanted to talk to me about it. And, you know, there's also a wonderful secret um, that has to do with my suitcase, which I will not give away, but what was running on below all of that. And so for me, what I love about it is it talks about this really important part of me, which was the fact that I grew up as, you know, a gyno kid is what I call it. And, but also the fact that people, it resonates with you because I talk about the awkwardness that is, you know, puberty and, and every adult, it, whether, whatever your parents did for a living, whatever people in your life did for a living has been through puberty and it's terrible. And so it just really, one of my producers, it was the nicest compliment. She's like, she read the script and she goes, it's like reading a really bizarre and wonderful journal. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, thank you, because it's very specific. It's very me and just talks about how I saw the world as a kid beyond what my parents did, right? How we see the world. We don't really care what our parents do as little kids. We just know they're our parents. And then suddenly things crystallize and, and suddenly we're already getting self-conscious about our bodies changing and, and everything is terrible and, and self-conscious. And then people want to talk to you about their vaginas on the street, which is just my experience. I, I'm sure there are, there are others. And, and yeah, so- Looking at it, it's really that love letter to my younger self, but also to my parents for how really understanding that the, the awkwardness I felt was so misfocused uh, and it just so key to being a kid and being a teenager, you think everything's about you. And it's really about looking at the impact my parents had on their patients and why they wanted to stop me on the street. Um, because my parents always made space for their patients, always wanted to make sure they were educated, and supported and felt like they could talk through anything, not feel self-conscious about it. And just looking at that. So yeah, it's just a love letter to my parents that is very, very funny because they are very, very funny. They were the best comedy training I could have ever asked for. <laughs> well, I want to, I'm curious what yeah. exactly inspired you to write this show? Can I tell you, I, so I had been back in New York and I had been, I was in post-production on my movie and I'd been working on my movie for three years straight. I wrote the movie back in 2015 and then I didn't pick it up again until 2019. And then suddenly I was just, I, I took a jump and I decided to make the movie myself. So I had been pretty isolated. This was pre-COVID. I had been working in film, which takes a very long time. And I had been, I had been back in New York after filming this. I was halfway through post-production and I realized I wanted to get on stage and be with an audience again and do something that I could have kind of beautiful instant gratification, but also, but, but in a way that would still have the work and help me sharpen my skills. And something I love doing as a creator is doing live readings of my movie or live readings of TV shows I'm working on, things like that. Cause I get to talk to real people, especially people who would be impacted it. So, you know, for my movie, which is about body image, I did live readings with parents, teenagers, psychologists, teachers, social workers, all these different things. And so I was really excited to get on stage and get back on stage again. And my friend makes fun of me, Heather Taylor, because she goes, Hey, remember how you told me you wanted to get back on stage? I was like, yeah. And she's like, I figured you would like try stand up. And you wrote a 60 minute solo show, which is not, that's a jump. Claire, that's a jump. And I was like, I, that's what I do. I was too scared to do open mic. So I wrote a 60 minute show. Like, you know, that's who I am. Right. I was like, well, at least I can invite, you know, who I want, which is great. <laughs> but that was really what started it. I was like, while I'm in New York, I would like to get back on stage because that's where my roots are. It's really live theater. That's that's. And I bring that on set with me and I bring that on set to my film. Like I, and I got to work with a lot of people that are also theater people in my movie. And really making people feel calm and comfortable and having that community. But what was different about the solo show is it's just me up there, which is a little scary. But I wanted to, to dive into that fear. And it was one of those things too, where I 
basically wrote the log line for the gyno kid because I had been working on the TV show. And I was like, well, I'd like to do this story as a storytelling show. And I wrote the log line and I submitted it to Frigid without writing the show. Like the show was not written. I, I never told them the show was not written. So I submitted to Frigid and I was like, well, I'll have to submit the script. And I realized you just need a log line. And I was like, oh, okay. And I was like, well, I'll write the script. And naturally I didn't because life happens and post-production kicked up again. And then comes October 31st where they pulled names out of a bucket, which is what I love about Bridget. They basically pulled names out of a bucket on Instagram live. And that day my parents had come into the city for brunch. And one of my producers who I put on the form because he needed to have another person on the form had kept reaching out to me and being like, hey, so anything I need to do? I was like, I haven't written it yet. Don't freak out. And I, (laughs) I was freaking out. But I basically told my parents when they came in to visit, I was like, so I find out tonight if I am in a festival for where I'll be performing a show about you that I haven't written yet. My mom goes, Claire, that is the most Claire debacle I have ever heard. (laughs) And I was like, don't worry, I probably won't get in. A little background. I was exhausted. I, you know, it was like, you know, three years into making this movie, my dog had just injured himself and was going to need surgery. I needed surgery on like a hernia. It was just like one of those things where when it rains, it pours. And I was like, they got to like name eight of 12 on Instagram live. They hadn't called me yet. And I was like snuggling with my dog. And I went, you know what, buddy, it's okay. Mom really doesn't have time for this right now. And then they called my name and I went, oh my God. (laughs) And I call my dad and I am laughing so hard, but that kind of like that high pitched, oh my God, you know, laugh. And he, I'm, I'm not saying words. And my dad just goes, oh my God, you got in, didn't you? And I went, yeah. <laughs> and at that point, I was like, do I move forward and write this show and, and you know, have a show to perform? Or do I just say politely, you know what, pass it on to the next person, right? Do I do that? And and that was big of being like, do I commit myself to doing this where I was like, everything felt like it was going haywire at that time. I was like, do I do it? And I decided to to push myself. And I'm so glad I did because so much of, of being a, a writer, especially is pushing through that voice that says, it's just not worth it. Just don't do the thing, right? It's that it's that inner critic that is just loves to be like, but aren't we comfy? Aren't we so comfy? <laughs> and so I ended up writing the show. I ended up, I I actually, it started with the cues because Bridget reached out to me in December and they were like, so we need to know how many cues you have. And I was like, oh God, I have to have a script to have cues. So I took three hours and I outlined the entire show that I had in my head. And I was like, there are four cues. And then I wrote back, I was like, there are four cues. They're minor. It's a minor, te- technically minor show, which I love. Uh, I, I Especially as a, as a fringe festival, right? You have so many shows running through there. And I always think of people in the booth. And I'm like, you know what? Let's make their life very easy. And so I had four cues. And then after that, I was like, well, I'm going to build a show around these four cues because they're not changing. And so I wrote the show based on that. And then, you know, I, I have a great creative team who I brought over from my Empire Waste film, Crystal Collins, Lizzie Bryce, and Jack Hobbs. And so I basically sent them the script about two weeks before tech. And I was just like, hey, does this make sense? And they really loved it and then pushed me to hit two parts of the show a little bit harder that are the, the, the tougher beats. And I, it made the show so much better. And then at tech, I had just rewritten the show. And so I went through tech and I was basically reading from a script. And then the week of the show, I just spent four days in a row muttering to myself, which in New York, isn't that weird, but you know, it just <laughs> memorizing, which is why I wouldn't let my dad heckle uh, because all the lines were just in my head. And so that's, that's basically the show is getting in and then having to do it, which is how I do a lot of my writing is setting deadlines for myself and having a live reading, which is essentially being like, I'm throwing a party and I haven't done the thing yet. I have to do the thing. Otherwise I'll let everyone down at the party. It's a beautiful Catholic guilt, right? It's just, it's using that, using that to a T. So, <laughs> so that's basically the story of it, which is, you know, if I've ever a parent, my, I, I hope I am. I'm, my kids are going to be like, you can't tell us to prepare. You never do. And I'm like, I just scare the crap out of myself and then do the thing, do the thing. Yes. Well, now we've, we've tossed around, I guess you've tossed around a few ideas behind the show's message, but is there a sole message or idea you're hoping the audience will take away from this? 
Absolutely. It's really that help. There's no two twofold. There's no reason to feel uncomfortable talking about your body. Bodies are not uncomfortable. Health is not uncomfortable. It's your body. It's health. Right. And then the other thing is that knowledge is power that, that, that goes for healthcare that goes for learning about your body. Cause if you know things about your body, you know, when it's not working properly, you know, and you're like, actually I'm feeling a lot of pain. I need to see somebody or I, that's not right. I need a, a second opinion, you know, where you feel comfortable speaking up for yourself. And that's something my parents really encourage their patients to do. So, so those two things that bodies are normal and nothing to be ashamed of. And that knowledge is power. Those are the two. One of the things that's really important for, for me and my work is using humor and education together. Right. And so that's why for me, our first guest we had for our run at frigid was having a, an expert on self uh, gender affirming care, because for me, you know, I work with a lot of phenomenal trans performers who are just incredible and just hearing their stories and, and how they're such, I mean, they're phenomenal role models. I, I work with Holly McDowell, who's uh, stars in my movie, who is freaking phenomenal. And she speaks about growing up and being trans and, and is just a role model for kids and also is a phenomenal performer. Like I didn't cast her because she was trans. I cast her because she was the best for the role. She's a like a physical comedy phenom. And so we actually started with gender affirming care in her honor because I was like, everything going on in politics one of the best things you can do is be educated about the health issue, right? So you can make sure what politicians are telling you is vetted. I love a footnote. I love a study, right? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a medical kid, right? So I love looking at, well, is that actually true? Are you speaking to get reelected? And unfortunately, a lot of people, both in the LGBTQ community and also reproductive health care, right? So much of their access is being annihilated by people in through politics and who are preaching these really like preaching fear and preaching hatred. And you look at that and, and I really try to bring it back down to the healthcare side of it, looking at it as people, right? People needing healthcare. And what's really cool is we had a phenomenal healthcare expert, Nikki Vega, who's a psychotherapist at Cal and Lord in New York. They're an LGBTQ plus hospital that serve anybody. You do not have to be LGBTQ plus to go there, but they serve low cost healthcare. And what was amazing is Nikki, they brought us through everyone involved in a trans individual's journey through healthcare. So you start with a therapist, you start, you don't start with hormones. You don't start with, you know, surgery, which is what the, so much of politics are talking about. They're like talking about, you know, hurting children by, by accepting them as being trans. And Nikki's like, no, you start with therapy. You start with understanding how you're feeling, what you need. Then you bring on a primary care provider, and then you some will bring on an endocrinologist to potentially use puberty blockers because that the, the hormone blockers, because puberty is the cusp of puberty is when trans kids start beginning getting really depressed and suicidal because the idea of transitioning of, of growing in their body that feels wrong, right. Is terrifying. And so talking about that, a person can be on puberty blockers until they turn 18, right. Hormone blockers. And then they can be taken off and just the, them walking us through that after the show, which is all about you know, knowledge is power. The audience who stayed and people who watched from home, you know, it was so special because we just got to hear from an expert, no politics, no motivation other than being like, Hey, I want to make sure you have the facts, right. Which is, which is what my parents do. And that for me, you know, I'm not a medical provider. And I, I say that early on in the show, but I was raised by them and they have standards and they want to make sure that their patients have the correct information so they can make the right decisions about their body that for them right? Not what someone tells you to do, not someone shaming you into doing something. There's no shame about bodies. It's just being like, what do you need? Here are the facts. Now make your decision, right? And how important choices. So, you know, for me, that that part of the show is, is my new, it's just my favorite part because I get to learn something every, every month, which is the greatest. So our next month in July is going to be on endometriosis because that's a really un underdiagnosed issue in folks with uterus. And so it's just really looking at that and being like, hey, let's bring in experts who are in this. And I have a, I always bring on a consultant for every show that has, that uh, is, is familiar with that specific topic. So that way I can speak to them, but I respect HIPAA. And so I also don't want to drag someone through having to be on stage and talk about their healthcare if they do not want to. And so I basically talk with them, 
get all the information and then I can moderate from a place of, you know, having that information without making someone, you know, feel like they have to put their, put their life out there. Cause I talk about myself, but not everyone feels comfortable doing that. And that is totally fine. Totally fine. <laughs> well, the last question I have for this first part is who do you hope have access to the gyno kit? Oh man. One of the coolest things to come out of performing this, especially in my hometown and in New York, was a request to bring it to high schools and middle schools to perform it for kids. It means I'll have to take out some of the swears. There are a couple, but you know, that for me is what's exciting is getting it to people that do not have access to health education. That's why I love that Frigid has the online opportunity to watch why I'm excited to potentially bring this across the country to be able to perform it at schools, but also honestly, young adults and even adults, like it just, it's amazing to see how much shame really permeates through healthcare and how much shame, regardless of your age, especially for women, right? Talk like that you, you, you really are, are supposed to feel shame about your body. I'm reading a great book on I'm this, who I am. I'm reading a great book on being like, you know, it's like basically a judgment-free talking about specifically women's bodies and being like, you know, this is what's going on with your body. There's nothing to be ashamed of. This is what this means. This is what the, it's amazing. And realizing how you lacked that in school because it was considered an unclean topic. When it's healthcare, it's biology. So looking at that, for me, I love talking to having young people there. So in my performance in Connecticut that I did, I did three shows in my hometown. Someone actually brought her middle school daughter, aged daughters, kids, and, you know, ended up messaging me and being like, we talked about the show and about, you know, her health, like all afternoon. And, you know, they asked me questions and we looked up answers together and, and just seeing that is so special, but also giving older adults permission to kind of unlock that shame and be like, you know what, I, I have had a health issue and I, and, and I know I'm not alone. That's why I'm excited to talk about endometriosis. I've had people talk about vaginismus, like, which is like this vaginal pain that a lot of people have, yet they feel ashamed to talk about it. And so just normalizing this, it's something that really goes across all ages, but especially younger people and people that feel the shame about their bodies. It, so it kind of crosses, crosses into everybody, but people that just encouraging them to learn and encouraging them to fight for their right to have that information. Um, that's important. So I want to give our listeners now a chance to get to know you a little bit more. And I want to start by asking you, what inspires you? You know, what playwrights or composers or shows inspire you or are some of your favorites or what comedians? I mean, you are a comic. Yeah. What what are who inspires you? I mean, any. I love being back in New York has been the best because for me, seeing people put themselves out there and be radically vulnerably themselves, like that makes me so happy. So I love comedians like Josh Gondelman, Joe Firestone, Aparna Nancherla, you know, all these phenomenal folks that are so funny and just inherently themselves. But also I love, I love musicals. I can't, I came up on theater. For me, it was always stories like Into the Woods blew my brain apart as a kid, right? Being like, there's something after ever at like, you know, the end. What do you mean? What do you mean? We could do that. I was, you know, so for me, I was a huge reader. And I, you know, my parents took me to theater as a kid, you know, starting when I was like 10, where I got to go see musicals. And I remember they put on Into the Woods at my high school when I was like in elementary school or middle school. And I went to see the performance and I like broke the CD because I listened to it so many times. And I just would listen to Giants in the Sky and I listened to, you know, Act Two and hear how everything changed and, you know, all. And I was like, you can do this with a fairy tale. And so that for me was you know, Into the Woods was so key, similar to film for me was Hook, which is Steven Spielberg's, you know, twist on Peter Pan, right? And so I love looking at that. I love looking at folklore. I love looking at stories that are familiar to us and asking what if, you know, what if is, is so core 
to who I am as a creator, that curiosity of being like, what if this happened? What if that happened? And that's what I love about writing. That's, you know, my movie that I just did was, it was based on the true story of, of how I quit swimming when I was 12, because I felt uncomfortable in my body. I didn't feel safe wearing those, like, I didn't feel safe having, uh, you know, my body on display in any way. And I realized other people felt similarly. And so I had the idea, I was like, what if there was a person who could make herself anything she wanted to wear, a fashion designer, yet didn't feel worthy to wear it, right? And that's the core of my movie that we just made, Empire Waste, you know, asking those questions and getting to know the characters of people. That's also a big part of my process is like, I legit do Q and A's with my, my characters. It's my favorite and not usually asking questions about the topic in the movie. I'll be like, what are you afraid of? Like, what was the most embarrassing moment of your life? And that's what I love as a writer. It's what I love talking about with, with other writers, especially people just getting started all different ages. Right. Because there's this almost giving yourself permission to create. I have a, 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 that's on a a post-it note. I have, I give, I say permission to create where I give myself permission to ask those questions, permission to be like, okay, let's get to know them better. I'm probably not going to use all this information. And so that was actually part of Gyno Kid was getting to know myself again at that age and being like, what did we think about our teachers? We totally thought they were robots that lived in the closet and didn't leave school. And so that's (laughs) part of the show, right? It was like that, that's a true. And that for me is like, explaining that. And, and it was so funny because some people were like, I got the same thing. And someone was like, my mom was a teacher. So I felt like you as the gyno kid, everyone knew my mom, you know? And so it's just so fun to do that. So that part of, of the creative process is really so key of just being curious and, and sharing the work along the way is so important. Not being really precious with the work and being like, it's not ready. It's not ready. It's not ready. That's why I started doing live readings in 2019. Cause I was like, I just need to get this in front of people. And I invited 20 people to a reading at my old office and half of like half of them were close friends or related to me. And yet I was so nervous. I spent like $200 on alcohol and dessert. So at least if they didn't like it, they could be hammered and happy and leave. Right. <laughs> And so I, and they ended up loving it and, you know, having a lot of champagne. So like, it was, (laughs) which is great. But for me, it's that the creation and the connection with people. And that's like getting back into performance has been so key because I get to talk with people after shows, people that who love me and know me and people who I've never met before who heard about the show and, and came to see it. And that for me will never get old and why theater is so beautiful in that way. But yeah, that's, that's core to who I am as a person, very much a, a human being first, <laughs> very curious human Love being. That. That's amazing. That's great. Thank you. Well, the show has been, I mean, a wild success and you've been crazy busy with it. I know, but have you seen any great theater lately you might be able to recommend to our listeners? Oh, absolutely. So I know it's closing very soon. Leopoldstadt was phenomenal. I'm a member of Theater Development Fund, which I just love what they do and just being able to have affordable theater tickets. So I actually got to take my parents and we saw Leopoldstadt and wow, I mean, just two hours seeing multiple generations on stage just at the height of performance and tenderness and fear and and just, oh, and it, it's so present. It's so, and it breaks your heart that it is so present and you see what's going on today. And then the other, which I just will, I've seen twice already. And I will, I keep telling everyone to see this, some like it hot, which my God, that, that as a, as a comedy writer, that book is ridiculous. It is. Oh my God. What is Amber Ruffin and Matthew Lopez redoing that book uh, and, and making it so present talking about what it's like to be a black person in 1930s Chicago or in America in general, but also, you know, talking about gender identity, talking about fear and love. And, but then the humor joke after joke, after joke, the performances, I mean, that choreography, the direction, it was just, I saw it and I was like sitting way up in the balcony, right? There was someone who actually had to change seats because he felt nauseous. And I was like, I got it. I'm here. And I felt every beat, every moment. I could not look away from that stage. So some like it hot. I have just been talking about to everybody. And I actually took Holly McDowell with me to go see it. Uh, Cause I was just like, you have to see these characters and this, this story about learning to love yourself. Like, Oh God, it's so great. It's so great. But some like it hot. I just, 
freaking love. And then I've been able to see, I live near Union Hall in Brooklyn. And so I love seeing stand-up specials. And I just saw Natasha Vainblatt is a phenomenal comedian. She works for Fallon and she just did her stand-up special, which is amazing. And anytime I could see Josh Gondelman perform live, delightful. And then I've just been seeing so much theater. And then I know it just closed, but Michael Cruz Kane's Sorry for Your Loss was wow. It was phenomenal. And I got to see him workshopping that over the winter. And that for me, seeing him really in his element, Josh Sharp was directing. They had such an amazing team. But again, it's, it's seeing that vulnerability about, about loss, but also not being afraid to laugh and making your audience feel really safe. And what I loved about that show is similar to Gyno Kid, how we really try to educate, have that, you know, laugh and learn element. He had a talk back afterwards with specialists in grief, um, people who run a grief camp for kids who've lost a loved one as a young person. And it was phenomenal to hear about it. People asked questions about, you know, my cousin came with me. She asked like, what do kids handle better than adults when it comes to grieving? And they're like pivoting. Adults feel like they are not allowed to have fun if they're grieving. They feel like they're, you know, or they feel like they should be grieving all the time. Meanwhile, kids can be talking about something heartbreaking. And then they're like, we're going to go climb the rock wall. We're climbing the rock wall. <laughs> you know, and other people were asking, what do you say to someone who's grieving? You know, when it can feel so awkward and the best feet that I use now, someone says, just say that fucking sucks. That fucking sucks. And I'm sorry you're going through that. I'm so angry for you instead of feeling like you're, you're tiptoeing around. So I love that because it was a beautiful story and so funny and heartbreaking. Yet he also uses it as an opportunity to educate and make people feel less alone because everyone has dealt with death and grief. It's universal, right? And even though we don't talk about it. So those, all those shows have just been just phenomenal, phenomenal. Yes. I love that list. What an amazing <laughs> list. That's actually a really great lead into my next question. It's almost like you're a writer. Um, Get out of here. Get out of here. Spreading those rumors. <laughs> what is your favorite part about working in the theater? Oh, without a doubt, it's community. It's community, right? It is. I came up through theater in in high school and I was a stage manager. I, you know, I auditioned for a musical and I quit basketball to do it. And I did not get it because I didn't actually rehearse. I just like sang into a hairbrush, like like mimed into a hairbrush. And then I got on stage and like, wasn't great. And my sister saw how devastated I was and handed me a paintbrush and was like, get to work. And that element of being part of something bigger than yourself, you know, creating something, building those relationships for me, even as a solo performer, you know, every time I get to the theater, I get to see my amazing tech. I had Emily during Frigid. Now I have Hadley who's technical director at Frigid. You know, it's just, I get to see everyone in front of house. I get to see, and let alone an amazing audience, right? Let alone our press, uh, you know, Emily, who's our amazing publicist, right? So looking at that, there's so many people that go into making theater what it is and that that kind of magic and it's it's one of the reasons I love directing I just directed a show hum uh, by Julie Pinheiro and you know she's the writer performer and one of the best things was I took so many lessons from Gyno Kid and brought that to her show about you know getting vulnerable getting deeper you know especially being up there by yourself it's so easy to get in your head and what I love doing is focusing on my audience making them feel seen and safe because it make, gets me out of my head so community is everything for me the fringe run at Frigid really changed my life because I got to reconnect with so many people that I hadn't seen for years or in some cases, decades who came to the show in person um, and who watched it online from across the country, around the world that were supporting me, getting up there and telling the story about my childhood and my parents. You know, that for me is something I will never forget. So community's everything. I'm, I'm excited to write projects that have a bigger cast. I don't know if I'll per, performing is fun. It's been fun getting back on stage because I'm always like, I like being behind the scenes. And in reality, I just, I just don't like showering, but like, it's, <laughs> it's why I'm not in my movie. My voice is in my movie. I was like, don't make me shower if, if I don't feel like it, but you know, I'm excited to write bigger ensemble pieces for on stage so I can build that camaraderie again with actors and crew, you know, and everyone that's part of it. It makes it possible. Love that. Love, 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 loving all this. Oh. 
And that is a great lead into my favorite question to ask, which I've asked you before. So I'd love to hear another one, but what's your favorite theater memory? Oh man, my favorite theater memory. Honestly, it has its opening night of the gyno kid at Frigid. That for me was so special of getting up there. And that it was that moment when I got on stage and the lights came up and it was the first five minutes of the show where I was so nervous. And then I realized I have an audience in front of me that is so game and so excited. And like, they are interested and along for the ride. There's a part where I make the whole audience be like, when I'm like, are you with me? And they like cheer. And that for me was when I was like, let's do this. And I shifted from being scared to being present and, and being there to share that story and share that love letter. And that, that for me is, is my, I used to, I, before, with last time we talked, it was something else, but this has really changed my life in a beautiful way. Beautiful way. Oh, love to hear that. That's amazing. <laughs> yes. Thank oh, you, you made my day. What a joy. <laughs> what a joy you are. And oh. honestly, I want to shout you out again. You really walk the walk when it comes to supporting theater artists specifically. You were at Oh my God. I saw you all over the fringe festival. It was the best. And you were just like, I need to see all these shows. I need to see and support everybody. And, and in the beautiful way where of just being like, I'm here, I'm excited to meet you all. And you're also an enthusiast as well as a great interviewer. So thank you for, for really being such a pillar of the community. Thank you. That's so kind of, thank you. You're welcome. It's the truth. Are there any other projects or productions you have coming down the pipeline that we might be able to plug? All right. Well, I would love to talk about Empire Waste, my feature film, which will hopefully be coming out soon. We just were at the con film market and a lot of international interest, which is very exciting. And if you want to find out when that will come out and be in the loop, you can go to empirewastefilm.com and sign up for our mailing list. So you'll be first on the list, which is great. So hopefully we'll find out where we're going this summer, which is very exciting. And then, yeah, supporting the Gyno Kid. We're going to be monthly the second Friday of every month at The Crane, and you can watch online as well. And then I should be finding out if we're going to be kind of touring the country with this thing. So stay tuned. That is so exciting. I am so pumped. I'm so pumped. It's just, you know, it's a, a beautiful thing of saying yes to two things that scare me. And I actually did a, a script tour with my movie. I went to, it did 17 live readings in 2019 and it shaped the project in a beautiful way. Cause I got to talk to so many people who shared their stories with me and got to give their feedback. And it, there's the, as a, as a, as an artist, as a writer, as a human being, connecting to other people is just the greatest thing in the world which I'm sure I, I, I'm, I'm an extrovert, but <laughs> for me, it really fills me up. Even if it's, you know, I'm still tired from that script tour, but it was so worth it. <laughs> well, if our listeners want more information about the Gyno Kid or about you, they might want to reach out to you personally. How can they do so? Absolutely. So my website is claireayub.com and you can go to claireayub.substack.com to sign up for newsletter, which is where you'll get all my shows, anything coming up, any Empire Waste news. That's super fun. And then on Instagram, I'm at claireayub. That's my name. (laughs) Well, Claire, it has been amazing to have you here. I hope this is the first one-on-one interview of many to come. I'm sure. I have a hunch. Yeah, we're going to have a lot more work coming on the pipeline. (laughs) What's next? But I'm also just going to make up projects so we can hang out. Uh, (laughs) You're a joy. joy. But this has been amazing. I I truly just loved your show. I love your show. I'm going to come back and see it again. I'm bringing friends. We're doing this. But I, I appreciate your time today. Thank you for sharing just everything today your show your love for for the theater and for writing and your memories it's this has been amazing so thank you thank you my friend what a joy thanks for listening everybody (laughs) my guest today has been the playwright director and performer claire ayub whose show the gyno kid plays the second friday of every month at the crane and that's july 14th august 11th september 8th October 13th, November 10th, and December 8th, all at 7 p.m. And again, that's at the Crane Theater. We love the Crane. And you can get your tickets and more information by visiting frigid.nyc. You can also contact Claire or follow her by heading to claireau.com. 
claireayub.substack.com or follow her on Instagram at claireayub. All of this information is going to be posted on our episode description as well as on our social media, but make sure you run, don't walk. I know we've said that before, but I'm not kidding. These shows are going to sell out. Head over to frigid.nyc. Get your tickets now for the Gyno Kid. You are not going to want to miss this. This is a stage whisper pick. We don't have many of them out there, but this is one of them. So make sure you head over there. And look, if you're not happy about it, you come over, you see me, we'll take care of it. In the meantime, the Gyno Kid playing at the Crane Theater. Tickets and more information available at frigid.nyc. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is DJ by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.